What's the secret? A Thomas organ. Because only Thomas organs have colored glow. The keys light up. You see the name of every note. And colors show you the right chords. Match them to the color glow music. And you start to play right away. Gee, that's fun. It sure is. And if you are a musician, you'll enjoy all the special Thomas sounds and features like this. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. This is a real organ. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! <laughs> Hello, fellow subterranean malcontents. Why the half mask, you ask? Well, I've decided to take my Phantom of the Opera fandom, spelled with a PH, to the next level! I've covered my hideous face in a half-ass mask, and I've moved into the sewer <coughs> cellars, and I don't have a pipe organ yet. But I have a cheap melodica, excuse me, that I got at a garage sale. Check it out. <coughs> Pretty creepy, no? Well, I have to get back to practicing my boss keyboard skills if I want to get any opera ladies to sing for me. You guys go get your hammer on with the Phantom of the Opera with Herbert Lam. Wait, hang on. Hello everyone and welcome to the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. I am your co-host this evening, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I want to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. And joining me in our little expose into the world of, of um, music and artisanal culture, I am joined by my usual gang of cohorts. Left to right across your lady radio dial up first is the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. Miss me. I, I, I always miss you, heroes. <laughs> you should. You and I did, fuck, I did it again. Uh, it's the wrong fucking movie. God damn it. <laughs> oh, this Slipping in people. my old age. 
seven yeah. years of doing this, I'm starting to go off the rails here. Starting. Yeah. <laughs> Diet shakes. And then also joining me this evening is uh, Tuchu Freak's OG himself, Mr. Chris Honeywell. If you've come to see the show, you're too late. <laughs> well, shit, we should stop now then, right? <laughs> and, and the final member of our little troop this evening is my brother, Jay Giaconetti. Today we both got the sack. Oh, yes. no, Henry. Oh, yes, Henry. <laughs> that was my line. Today we both got the sack. My <laughs> alternate My alternate was, it's just me, the old rat catcher. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line when he says, we both got the sack. Oh, no, Henry. Like, she, like, he's like, oh, yes. He's like, yes, he could Henry. give two shits. He's like, I don't freaking care. I want to go, I want to go read about, I want to go find some dead guy and go jump in the water after him and stuff. And she's like, we've missed tea. You know, <laughs> shit's given. Zero. Yeah, that's my, right. My, my like, other alternate line was, you lousy Frenchie. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So, if you can't tell from that intro, we are continuing our look at the Hammer series of horror films with 1962's The Phantom of the Opera, directed by Terrence Fisher, written by John Elder with a slight assist by Gaston Leroux, and uh, once again, <laughs> continuing uh, from la the last time, a Hammer film, Hammer horror film that does not star Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee, as Herbert Lom and Heather Sears are, uh, and Edward D'Souza, and everyone's favorite Michael Goo are, are Michael uh, Goo. around our Goo! Goo! We Goo. Get... Now that's to say he played Alfred, right? Yes. yes. So we had Alfred and Dreyfus from the Pink Panther movies in one movie. I was very happy with that. <laughs> And what but, is it uh, with Herbert? I love Herbert Lom for, for, but what is it with him in eyes? He always has one fucked up eye in every movie. In this one, <laughs> and and then you know, in the Pink Panther, he's got his twitchy, squinky eye. Yeah, it, it was like we need an eye man for this. It's Lom. We got to get Lom. He's a gifted eye eye actor. He's well, he you know, acts the funny, a hell out of eyes. He acts the <laughs> hell out of it. You know what's funny is that Herbert Lom. You know, Herbert Lom has a, kind of a, uh, he, he's, genre people know Herbert Lom, you know, but, you know, he outside of kind of genre stuff, he never, I don't, I don't know that he really caught on that much, you know, the, besides like the Pink Panther and then the genre stuff, but between the Pink Panther, this film, and then, you know, uh, uh, L. Seed and Mysterious Island, I, I knew Herbert Lom a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, well... You know, th those are all movies that came. I mean, our, I'm a, Jay and the, Jay will tell you, our dad loves El Cid. You know, so oh, God, that yeah. that's that's that one came up a lot in our house. You know, so. Um, See, but uh, if, if, if he had been in were... the Wild Bunch, it would be even more. Yeah, if, if he was in the Wild Bunch, jeez, I would have been aware <laughs> of that. But I mean, that's uh, why like Ernst Borgnine, we know that guy too. You know, Borgnine. No, uh oh. <laughs> We better eat all the ice cream, but uh, I have a mine's a sea turtle. I keep them underneath my sweater. But um, what's funny about okay, so the Phantom of the Opera. This is okay. Obviously, we had had a couple of adaptations of the Phantom of the Opera previously. This, of course, the famous one with Lon Chaney Jr. in 19 or Lon Chaney Sr. Excuse me, in 1925, and then the Claude Rains version in 1943, and then there were a few other. Um, you know, foreign language ones, and then we got this one in 1962. So really, this is only the third major uh, feature-length adaptation of the Phantom of the Opera, 
And, you know, it does, in a lot of ways, kind of follow the basic framework of the LaRoe story. And I really like the book. Family of the Opera by Gaston LaRoe is a really... It's, it's not a horror novel. It's more of a, a detective story. Um, LaRoe was more known as a detective writer than anything else. And this is just his most, wealth, most well-known piece because of the horror aspects of it. But everything from, you know, the uh, like the op- the opera ghost box. First of all, they call him the opera ghost, which is great. And then he has his own box, which is something that makes it into a lot of adaptations. And that's why, in this case, it's now the London Opera House instead of the Paris Opera House. But you always have the box that is reserved for the Phantom. But then there are a lot of things here that are either borrowed from the previous adaptations or added whole cloth that would later become kind of de rigueur elements of the story. So even though this film is kind of the lesser known of the three, the the three you know up to this point, it it had a lot of influence. So what did it had been a few years since I had a chance to watch this one? What did you guys think of Phantom of the Opera? I really liked it. I I, I think it actually, from what you said about the detective novel, I think it worked. I think the first half of it was more horrific, as the mystery of the ghost and the voice coming through, and you know. But after the scene with the rat catcher getting the the only like real murder in the movie, <laughs> yeah, it's like one of two, yeah. What? Yeah, because remember we get with the stagehand. Oh, that's it's, right, that's uh, right. Oh, that's which right. Is, which is so. I mean, that is. I mean, I know they're both the really film, gruesome. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Hammerfield. We've had a lot of great visuals. That's one of my favorites, where he just breaks through the wall to set. That guy looks hang- like he's really hung. He doesn't have that weird like, you know, when they have the board up their back and. They're, they're supposed to be how this guy looks like a corpse on a on a rope, and I mean this, the eye stabbing is it's not you don't directly see the knife go in the you eye, see but the you blood, see it from, from yeah, and you see it from the oh, side. It's hammer, you see blood, uh, and yeah. it's so it's so it's pretty, and 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 I think like up till that point, you know, um, it's a it's a horror movie, and then sort of the second half, it's a little less than that second half is kind of more the detective story with him going you know going through the sewer to find the the phantom and stuff and that that aspect of it and then the then it gets very instead of horrific it gets very dramatic at the end with the play and you know the play is more about like it's it's watching the play and this is less like building of tension than just like ah oh, this guy finally gets to see his work performed and actually the people there's people who actually even know it's his you know at that time so it, it, i thought that part that i was getting a little bit bored in the beginning of it i was like okay let's let's see where this is going and then once it got into the which is funny cuz i'm not a big opera fan at all but once it got into the like you're watching the actual opera happen and and everything i was fully engaged in the movie and really really digging it Especially since it gets to the, you know, that's the part with it where you fully get to see his underground lair. Because God, I want an underground lair. <laughs> well, oh, it was so swanky. It was dry yeah, enough but... to have like real beds in it, and mm-hmm. and somehow, somehow, piece by piece, he got that that pipe organ down there. And... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's funny you mentioned like the 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 idea of like the um, the police thing. Um, actually, there was a subplot involving a pair of Scotland Yard police inspectors on his trail that was shot for America, the American TV version. So it wasn't shot. It was shot by a TV company, not Hammer. 
So it has doesn't have Herbert Lom or any of those. It's just like, you know, pieces they could sew into the story to kind of pad it out for American TV and take out whatever else. They had actually done that with uh, Kiss of the Vampire and The Evil of Frankenstein um, as well in the 60s. That was one of the things they started doing. To, to When they brought these movies over to fill out whatever running time they needed or whatever, they would film these extra scenes of poli- police procedural stuff that didn't need any of the main characters in it. And they kind of stick it in the movie. So can you imagine you're going along like, who are these guys? Well, they didn't do anything, you know, just there to whatever. Um, They're never going to uh, meet any of the characters. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to see anybody. Uh, actually, Christopher Lee at one point was seriously considered for the role of the Phantom. And then they yes. went to with Herbert Lom instead. Um, and uh, this movie actually did not do well on its release. And that caused Terrence Fisher to actually fall out of favor with uh, Hammer a little bit. And he wasn't given another film until 64. Right, it's, it's so it's too bad because I think he did a really. I mean, he did as good a job. I mean, so far I think he's like oh, kind of knocked I mean, them all out of the park. Right. The thing with Terrence Fisher, and this is this is a thing I know. I mean, Luke and I, being Hammer fans for a very long time, we hear this a lot. Uh, Terrence Fisher is a director who did not get a lot of credit at the time for the stuff he was making. People, I mean, his movies made money, but he wasn't like wasn't like he was a you know. He wasn't the Hitchcock or the whatever, you know, he didn't have the name recognition. And some of it had to do with the fact that people kind of looked at his movies as being like, well, he's making Dracula, he's making Frankenstein, he's making The Mummy. No matter how good they were, they were ultimately the B picture, so to speak, especially in, in some cinemas. I mean, I think he, Terrence Fisher has made some, he's made a few of the, uh, the Frankenstein movies that were maybe not the best in the world, but he, he, a lot of his movies were really good. And, and especially, especially considering in the genre, he's making them, you know, taking things that could be just pure exploitation movies and turning them into, you know, I mean, we saw it with, with Frankenstein and Dracula and the mummy that he's able to take these things that were kind of, I wouldn't say dated, but let's face it, like the universals had kind of run their course with those things. And now it's into the, you know, trying to revive them. And he brought new life into those movies along with you know, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and, you know, Jimmy Sangster and, uh, and you know, um, uh, Hines and the rest of the guys. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, what, what the, the kind of the, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of the genesis of this film is, is always kind of been kind of, kind of odd because one of the, the, um, one of the, the legends that has followed after this film is that, uh, Anthony Hines wrote the film for Cary Grant. At the time, it was not uncommon for American actors of a certain stature to go basically go on vacation in Europe and film a movie in England. And so the one of the what I've always seen kind of speculated is that the reason why the Phantom doesn't actually kill anyone, why it's the dwarf that is the violent character, is because if they were going to get, you know, American leading man Cary Grant to play the Phantom of the Opera, well, then you can't have him be a psychopathic murderer also, you know, and and just but just the idea of casting, you know, American leading man, Cary Grant as the Phantom of the Opera to me kind of strikes this idea that we would see when kind of when uh, Angela got a hold of this and the idea of, you know, kind of portraying the Phantom in he's a tragic figure. He's he's a scary figure. He's willing to do certain things, but he's not a monster. Which is different than had the the Phantom had been portrayed on film prior to this, where he was a killer, you know. So, and again, like I said earlier, that this is something that is kind of introduced in this film, 
that is, um, you know, because you're saying, well, look, Claude Rains played the Phantom. He was a leading man. It's like, yeah, but Claude Rains also played the Invisible Man. He was also a genre actor. You know, Cary Grant was not a genre actor, not in the sense that we're talking about a genre uh, leading man, you know. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that you say that the Phantom is this tragic figure more than anything else. He, he gets our empathy. He doesn't get our revulsion. So even to the point when they, you know, at the end when he is, um, you know, he is vindicated almost, we get, you know, it, it's it's an almost heroic sort of approach, which would become, again, something much more commonly seen in later adaptations that really gets its start here. Well, yeah, the, none, the, of that's it, none of that's in the novel. I can tell you that right now. The, the, mon- yeah. the monster in the, the monster, the villain in this movie is the guy who stole all his music and took his took credit for it you know yeah, or, yeah michael goff michael yeah. goff playing an absolute scumbag yeah, yeah. It's awesome dude he's really he's really good at playing and he gets away uh, with it too he gets away crap. at the end he doesn't even yeah. get i thought he was i thought that was what he was gonna get his revenge on him at some point but now yeah. he just like no, storms just... out and is never seen again in the movie yeah well i he, mean he, he's he's in um is it horrors of the black museum is that what that is I remember the one where he has like a he has like it was a common thing to have these uh, like uh, these black museums like and, and it was like a thing that was all about torture and whatever and he's actually killing people the whole time and you're like guy he's kind of a jerk like you know even I mean in in horror Dracula he doesn't play a bad guy there but it's no. like it's all these you know he's really good at playing that guy you're like oh god. You know, or I guess he could just, you know, go Congo, you know, kind of thing, because he is in that, too. Uh, a gorilla of gigantic proportions is rampaging through London. <clears throat> yeah, uh, where, where he plays an absolute asshole in that movie, too. Yeah. You know, he's the doctor and he tries to rape the girl and do whatever. He does. He plays a really good scummy guy. Yeah. You know, like you can buy him as a scummy guy. As a scummy so. guy. But, but you know what, what's odd is that, uh, you know, Chris, you hit the nail on the head. You said the real monster is the one who stole it. Well, I'm going to recite a, a line of dialogue from my favorite film of all time. I was and wondering that, when we were going to get to this. <laughs> yeah, that this film is the story of that search, of that sound, of the man who made it, the girl who sang it, and the monster who stole it. So much of Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise, my favorite film of all time, comes from this version yes, of Phantom yeah. of the yes, Opera. It does. I mean, right yeah, it down does. to right down to the fact that Professor Petrie, poor timid Professor Petrie, who is a a uh, you know a musical genius who is doing anything he can to get his music published, makes a deal with the devil itself to get his music published, and then his music is stolen from him and goes to get it back. And let's just say bad things go down at the printing press for Professor Petrie. And he is hideously scarred and jumps. Where does he jump? Into the river. This is all exactly what happens to poor Winslow Leach, musical genius who does anything he can, including making a deal with the devil to get his music published. And when it's stolen from him, goes to the record press. And let's say bad things happen at the record press for poor Winslow. And he ends up where? In the river. So, yeah. I mean, th- this brought us in this. I mean, I knew all this intellectually. I knew all that all this stuff that De Palma does in Phantom of the Paradise comes from this version of Phantom of the Opera. But watching it again after maybe, I don't know, at least 10 years brought it into such sharp relief. It's like, wow. It's like, and, and all those elements that I love in Phantom of the Paradise, they, they're great here, too. It's not even, well, you know, even even the sound element of his voice through the mask and his voice coming out of you know wherever the grates in the room is mm-hmm. very similar in P- phantom of the paradise you it know has, i mean yeah, a voice through a, a mask is a voice through a mask but it has this 
this almost like electronic yes well in fan of the a, paradise it does too but even in this one it does you know right it, it has a metallic edge too yes it, yes in this one it in phantom of the paradise it's obviously with a a, a synthesizer synthesizer but here it, or, or as George Romero would say, the synthesizer. Synthesizer, yes. Synthesizer. <laughs> the move synthesizer. We put a we put a click on a twenty foot track, and we had something we could put the move synthesizer to. But uh, <laughs> George Romero for everybody there. But no, but yeah. Yep. So here, it's, uh, I mean, uh, so Herbert Lom is is a good enough actor that even when we're not seeing his face, you know, we just get his voice, and he has a very you know kind of rich voice as appropriate for, for someone playing the role of the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, but it, and, he, and it's a great presence also that he really sells it. And then we get to see all the flashbacks. And I love the Dutch angles in the flashback. That's yeah. so 60s. It's so nice to see those crazy Dutch angles in that. But even then, you know, Michael Goff, it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, you are an asshole. And, and, yeah. and you know, you feel for Professor Petrie here because all he wants to do is write his music, right? And, and, you know, and this, this guy is, first off, they're writing operas in English, and that's just crazy. I mean, that, did they even do that? Any, I mean, I didn't know that, that was a thing. You know, usually operas are written in Italian and French, generally speaking. But, um, except for like a rock opera, like Jesus Christ Superstar or something like that. But, you know, so, yeah, I mean, the, the performances here, just like all the other Hammer films we've watched, it's the performances that really kind of carry the day. Yes, set design is great. The, the lair is such a great set. It's so big. It's got such a depth of the frame, you know. We're looking at one part, and you can see all the way to the back, and there's other stuff going on in the back. There's other areas. There's like you said. The only thing that didn't stuff. bring it to life is there should have been more poop floating around. Poop. Well, oh, yes. Yeah. You know, British censors being what they are, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rami, you can't show any poo. Oh come on, yeah. Governor. <laughs> well, I th- I thought I thought that the, the changing having having him. Uh, trying to, you know, uh, get his music back and having it be an accident that, that causes his face to get burned compared to in when uh, when Claude Rains gets the acid thrown in his face. So I'm like, you know, in, in the uh, in the, the remake, in the 40, yeah. in the one foot 43 or whatever it was. 43, I think, um, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. But he, when, when, when he, he's arguing and the woman just throws the acid in his face, you're like, oh, my God, like, at least here, you're like, okay, I totally understand what happened here. Like, he thought it was whatever, and he threw it on there, and it flared up. And it, okay, like, you feel bad because he's a guy who's getting screwed over, and then just whatever. Not that Claude Rains' character wasn't getting screwed over in the other one, but who carries around a bucket of acid? That's what I was just wondering. <laughs> I mean, I know she has it because they're doing, they doing some etching or some whatever in the movie, but it's just like, that's, that's a really specific thing to have in a bucket. Here, I mean, it's it's not unheard of that you know uh, when when they're doing you know they're etching the uh, well, they're, the they're plates gotta, they got to etch the plates at a printing press. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, those are things that normally are around in a printing press, you know, kind of thing. It would be. It, I yeah. say it's not it's not like in the Beyond where you keep your acid in a big glass jar on the top of a book. Oh, on book the top of the No entry. Do, do, do not, not entry. entry. Do not entry. <laughs> do I had that entry. on my. I had that on the wall of my bathroom in a, in a dorm room I lived in for. <laughs> He was like, you know this is spelled wrong. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's actually correct. Do not entry. <laughs> anyway, so um, the other thing, too, uh, that I wanted to mention was uh, by making uh, Michael Goth so like, – he, he's a, he's just despicable at every turn. Like he's trying to like, uh, you know, just use every woman and it's all about – what. It just There's nothing redeemable about him. 
which I think I what I like the idea that he's not redeemable in any way. He's not like there's no heart of gold anywhere in there. It is just all about him lining his pockets with money and who can he use to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not, you know, nowadays you'd want to have some redeeming character in there because everyone is good at some point. He's not. Well, there's you know nothing what, good. Yeah. What's interesting yeah. is that kind of on a, um, a, a you know, kind of a, an, an odd off topic thing that really reminded me of his performance is that my wife and I, we like the show Outlander and Outlander just it, as we're recording, this has just come back for its third season. So we've been rewatching the earlier seasons. And there is a character in Outlander. His name is Blackjack Randall, and he is an officer in the uh, the British Army in the 17th century. And I don't know the name of the actor who plays him, but he is a lot like um, a lot like uh, Lord Darcy is here in that he is ostensibly a gentleman. He's very erudite. He's very well spoken. He's an aristocrat. You know, he's a he is a a gentleman in all ways, but he's a complete vicious sociopath. And that's what Lord Darcy is. And when we were watching Outlander, it reminded me of this. He'll use anyone in his way. He treats people as objects. He doesn't care who he hurts or maims or leaves, you know, lying in in uh, in waste in his uh, in his path. And you know that. And it's it's that you know the. Um, uh, uh, well, I think it was Terrence Fisher would say that that you'd see the the horror in 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 the regular world, and that a lot of times that you know regular people were much more monstrous than the so-called monsters. And here you have you know respectable Lord Darcy, who's a patron of the opera and the arts, and who uh, dines at fancy restaurants and has a you know ha- keeps his you know has has you know a big house and all that. But he's he's a creep. He's an absolute creep. You know he wants nothing better than to take advantage of everyone around him for his own personal satisfaction. And so, like I said, if there's any misstep to me, it's that he doesn't get his, you know, to continue uh-huh. the, to continue the, the Phantom of the Paradise comparison, Swan gets his. Okay. He, uh, at the end, when it's all said and done, Swan pays for his sins, whereas Lord Darcy seemingly doesn't. And so I wonder, I, I mean, I don't I mean, want to be too at much. At worst, Lord Darcy later on down the road is going to get humiliated when he's exposed as, Right, having thieved that that opera, but at the same time, yeah, no, he was he he was supposed to get something in his eye, <laughs> right, <laughs> and yeah. into his brain or something. You know, he was supposed to go out in some poetic way. Yeah, I would stab, think get stabbed but, with a bird hat of some kind, yes, so, yeah, something like that. But <laughs> no, he just like storms out, and that's the end. Then he's gone. Right, but again, they, but at that point. The, the the dwarf is gone, and you can't have the phantom again because he's a heroic character. He's a tragic mm-hmm. character. You can't have the phantom kill him. Now, I will say this about Andrew Lloyd Webber's, at least. The phantom in that does kill some people in that one. He doesn't have his little flunky doing his the work for him. You know, so Andrew Lloyd Webber's phantom probably would have, you know, choked this guy out with a rope. But, you know, uh, and, you know, we, we all know what Winslow does in, in Phantom of the Paradise, so... And Robert England's or family. Or Robert England would have done. Yeah, he would have ripped his throat out and eaten his entrails. That's right. But. That's right. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have choked him out. He'd. Have, he'd. Have, he'd. Have, um, strangled him with his hands and then filleted his face. So he would have uh, pulled his intestines out and started playing the bass line to the opera with him. Well, no, because he would. He would need the pieces of his face because he's. Yeah. He in Robert England's one. Back on him. Yeah. He's, he's sewing the skin back on his face. I mean, there is. <laughs> 
I I cannot think of a much more different take on the fan of the opera than Robert England's version. The only one that I can think of is Julian Sands playing the Phantom of the Opera and yes, Dario Argento's Phantom of the Opera. He's raised by a family of looking. rats. He's right, good yes. looking and raised by rats. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is not oh. to be confused with Dario Argento's opera, opera, which is a very different movie, which is not family opera. Which um, ends, which ends in like an homage to uh, the Sound of Music uh, opera. Yes. <laughs> Crazy, but I'm saying it. But you know, if you think about that, like as much as uh, Phantom of the Paradise is inspired by this, you can see parts of this movie in the um, Robert England version as well. Yeah. Um, you know, a few things here and there because they became, I don't want to say the tropes of this, but they became what became the norm of a family opera movie. Uh, you know, the only thing that you don't get here is, uh, I mean, obviously since the, since the Phantom is, the, is heroic, we don't get the Phantom trying to drop the chandelier on the, you know, on everybody, you know, kind of thing. As, which is, as, which is uh, totally, totally misleading off of the poster. Cause the poster shows yes. the Phantom doing exactly yes. that. And it's yes. like, dude, that totally doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, but it's, it's so funny that he's the one who's heroic at the end to save her. And, in, in in the on the true previous versions, it's all just trying to kill everybody, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Especially Lon Chaney's version, like Claude Rains' version. I mean, I understand what they were doing, you know, remaking it because Universal thought they definitely could cash in, and they did. Cause that movie was, uh, you know, a relative success. But um, Chaney, besides being so absolutely grotesque, you know, he had he had actually studied, he had uh, people coming back from World War One. He had actually looked at the effect of mustard gas and stuff like that and happened on people and who were disfigured. And that's what he based his his uh, makeups on. Cheney's Phantom is not a hero in any way, shape or form. He's a villain. He is, you know, he's he's just in he's he's getting his revenge. But even up to the point where he goes to, th- to threaten to throw something on them, and they all stop and he just opens his hand and laughs at them because they are so below him. You, it's such a different thing here. We, we, Herbert Lom here is such a sad character. Uh, you know, his in the, I mean, the, the, the professor is just a sad person. You just feel bad. You're like, all he wants to do is get his stuff published, and you're like, really? And God, this kind of sucks. And then like, but I love how that you know he, he he goes into the river, and they're like, uh, he must have washed away. Well, you didn't look for him, yeah. like you know. <laughs> Oh, this dead guy's in the river. He's gonna show up in someone's house. Who cares? Want to deal with that? He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying. I was gonna say de- oh. detective work wasn't quite where we are nowadays. As far as <laughs> oh, I think it'll be fine there, Governor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> that can't be that bad. He'll wash up somewhere. Whatever, you know. Uh, ten, ten feet tall. He was uh, seven, seven and a, seven and a half, perhaps. <laughs> Uh, also, what I like about what uh, it's totally done for uh, budgetary purposes, but again has become synonymous with the Phantom of the Opera. What song, what piece of music is the Phantom playing in his rear? Toccata and Fugue Takata. in D minor. Because Toccata and Fugue in D minor, God bless it, it's in the public domain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it sounds super duper creepy, and everybody knows it and loves it, and now that's what the Phantom of the Opera plays, you know? Yeah. Even, they even use that gag, I'm pretty sure, in Gremlins 2. That yes, the, they do. The Phantom, oh, yeah. the Phantom Gremlin is playing Takata and Fugue in D minor on his little on his little uh, organ, and when the girl goes up and takes the mask off of him, and he does the launch any senior thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, see, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not a. Um, 
I'm not a one of these phantom fanboys with a PH that you know just uh, are absurdly devoted to the musical. I mean, I like the musical. You know, don't get me wrong. Actually, but... fanboys with a PH are phantasm fans. That's right. They're well. They are also. They, they've been fighting over that domain name for years. It's like Nambla.com between, you know, <laughs> National Association of Marlon Brando lookalikes and that other group, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> we've been fighting up on Nambla.com for years. But uh, that's, there's some old school South Park right oh, there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the so, but I'm not, you know, you, but we all, I mean, uh, you know, Honeywell, you're, you're into performance art. You know that there are people out there who are way I too into Andrew Light weapons. Nambla for a second. He's in, well, he does kind of look like uh, Marlon Brando from the pictures I've seen. Like Brando no, from he like, looks like Island the of weird Dr. Little Moreau. dude from Island of Dr. Moreau. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look like his little buddy, yeah. Well, yeah. That's a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, you know man. what I mean? There, there are some people who are, you know, absurdly devoted to Phantom as a musical. Whereas, you know, my, my appreciation for it has always originally came from the book and then has come from a lot, just really liking and enjoying a lot of the adaptions. So from a, a just watching this as a film, I mean, this is one of those ones. And it, this has been true of all the Hammer ones. It's like, OK, you sit down to watch like, what is this, you know, 88 minutes? OK, or 80, 84 minutes in this case. And then yeah. you look up and suddenly it's the last reel. It's like, wow, you just get kind of sucked into it. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's what again, that that's always been kind of my way with this one. This one was one that. Um, and Jay, Jay knows what I'm talking about here. This one would be on TBS occasionally. This yep. wasn't one of the ones that was in heavy rotation, but I do remember watching it on TBS a couple of times when we were kids and always wondering, well, why does he only got one eye? You know, that always kind of bothered me. But <laughs> I never, I guess I never really put two and two together there, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it, and the thing is, too, is uh, when it was on, there's not much to cut out of the movie at all. Because uh, at 84 minutes, that's that's the right running time for. They got to cut a minute, he cut a few minutes here and there to get it in, in the two-hour time slot. But that's the whole point. You know, there's no blood that has to be cut out. There's no. I mean, there's. I mean, the blood that's in there is, you know, it's hammer blood. So yeah, it's not like it's there's not like not you know someone really actually any cheesecake in it. No, it's super no, tame no. in that regard. There's yeah. no heaving yeah. bosoms or. Yeah. Salaciousness. It's... Well, the the one the one joke, you know, woman that they have to replace her, but you oh, know, she the, she has oh, comically yeah. big bosoms, and yes. they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're she's the diva, big. you know, she's supposed yeah. to. So they're comically big. <laughs> they are. They're they're like they're not they're not sticking out out of a bustier. They're like wrapped up, but they're huge, and you can tell that he's hypnotized by them. Oh, <laughs> so is I. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean, it's so, so you have a movie that, like I said, fits into that mold. It's the right running time. doesn't have to be cut down much. Um, obviously, what they must have done was uh, with, the, with the additional scenes they had there of the detective work, that was all just in to pad out the, you know, excuse me, pad out the film um, to whatever the running time they needed it to be. But, I mean, it's Luke's right. I mean, most of these films, I mean, again, in, 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 uh, especially in, in the, the Phantom and even the um, – Dr. Jekyll uh, kind of things. Those movies here, like, okay, like there's no monster monster. There's no Frankenstein's monster or Dracula, or the wolf man. Like there's none of those things there to kind of get along, but they move at a good clip and they keep you in, invested in the movie. So you don't be like, yawn, I'm tired. What's going on here? You're going along at a, a good clip here. You're like, huh, well, it's, it's, it's been 80 minutes, you know, already of, you know, whatever. So, um, but it's, 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 it's funny how, when you see things that become 
uh, I don't say just the, you know, become the norm, but become what's becomes, you, know, you kind of expect there to be. Well, this is turned into what people expected there to be was a lot of things from this movie. It became the tropes of what was later either parodied or copied or however you want to put it. You know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of, kind of like what we had with uh curse of the werewolf is that this, this is, there's uh this is, this, this is such a really well-made little movie and it's got, it's vi- it's visual. And so much of it is, is so much how, how it's visually designed the, the set design, the costume design and all that. That's almost hard to find things to talk about. Other than saying, yeah, that was really cool, you know, and and it's yeah. not like um, you know uh, some of the earlier films where we talk about you know Cushing and and uh, Lee and all that, and then there's monster makeup and stuff like that. We do get a very very quick g- glimpse yeah. of Herbert Lom's dis- disfigured face. I mean, you you gotta get that get that freeze frame button ready on your DVD remote, you know. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, but that, that's not what it's about, you know. It's not like curse of frankenstein where the monster and the what the monster looked like and was an important aspect of this the the, the mask right. is much more important for the phantom yeah. than his face which is funny you know? that mask was made on the spot on the set with cloth and cotton they just they didn't have one so like quick make one they just yeah. made it and, and it's such a different looking mask because it's not an opera mask it's like a you know it's just a covering for his face. Like he, it's not it's like he, something he you know, fashioned up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it has that like homemade look to it because it is homemade. So, uh, and it looks know, like with, it was homemade by a crazy person. You know, he, he only has so much time. He's still carrying that pipe organ down, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you got? I don't need another foot pedal. I have enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> All I picture is like when you first start playing the pipe organ, rats come running out yeah. of it, just... scurrying out of it. And and, the, and you know the rat catcher, that was just a gratuitous death too. There was no reason to kill the rat catcher at all. Yeah. He wasn't doing anything to endanger the phantom or anything. He just, I guess maybe he saw. No, the guy like sort of jumped down and attacked him, didn't he? The, the... Yeah. Well, the, the dwarf's a little crazy, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah hey. that's true. Uh, that dwarf, not all dwarves. <laughs> no, you, you talk he, about. Is, is the whole point was he's trying to take? Isn't he catching the rats too? Like the the doesn't the dwarf want the rats to eat or something? I'm trying to remember. Like. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, he stabs him, and then the rats go. That that's how you know he's dead because they're out in the hallway, and all the rats go running out because they got. Oh yeah, that's right, 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 right. right. Bag. bag. Yeah. Well, so I mean, maybe that, that, I guess the rat, it, well the rat catcher is killed for you know everyone's favorite words plot contrivance we need to yes. think that there's someone murdering someone at the opera house yeah and the rat catcher is a you know uh, oh a plot bay look at him so he's a beautiful he's a beaut isn't he yeah all I could think of was your your squirrel that you got uh, Chris yes <laughs> with the rats but uh, it was the way he was talking about him but uh, he he's there to die so that people think oh the phantom's gonna kill people you know he already killed this one guy and we hung him up you know now he's killed this rat catcher who could be next you know so it's it's you know then it's it's the the uh, you know the uh, proverbial homicidal maniac is the one that did it you know there's always a homicidal maniac running about when you need people to be bumped off stabbing people in the eye <laughs> and the thing is it just killed him usually you get stabbed you know. If it was a realistic movie, he'd be like, ah, 
my eye. <laughs> Why just stab me in the eye? Bloody God. hell. Yeah. God damn it, Bobby, what are you doing? to hypnotize the rats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Gosh. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Again, you know, I, I know Luke, I mean, growing up, uh, I mean, Phantom of the Paradise was something we saw later on. At least I did. I know Luke had saw it before I had. Um, and it's one of those when you well, see that, Phantom yeah, of the Paradise. Was, that was in the mid-90s. That was in, in high school. That, right. I was going to say Phantom of the Paradise was high school. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying. But you could really appreciate having, again, having grown up. Because I could honestly say, I think I've seen this movie more than I've seen. Definitely more than I've mean, I've only probably sat through Phantom of the Opera, the entire fan, original Phantom of the Opera, once. Um, even with when they when they changed the score and they put, like, like a regular music over the top of it. Uh, I've sat, I've seen, you know, obviously we've seen, um, uh, Claude Rains' version, maybe like, you know, one or two or three times, maybe over the course of the time, because the problem with the Claude Rains version is it's fine, but it's the exact same story as the other one. But I think we've seen this one more than anything else. And then yeah. later on, when, when you see Phantom of the Paradise, you can really, cause it's, if this is the one that's most, you know, held in your brain, you know it. Um, but then when we, when we wind up seeing the, uh, the Robert England version, you know, when when uh, that's always the best. The poster for that has basically has Freddy makeup on, with a mask, kind of covering it. You know, kind of thing. But the, um, the burning question is, yeah. how many times have you seen the uh, the uh, oh god, what the hell is his name? The one who did Batman Forever, Joel Schumacher. Oh, yeah, how many times Joel have you seen Schumacher? the Schumacher version? I don't think I've ever seen it. That's that the one with Gerard like, Butler. Yeah. I've Ross. seen that yeah. one time. It, it's it's an adaptation of the musical, so it's got all the songs yeah. and stuff in it. You know? Oh, yeah. All right. But, but, but I'm, what one. I'm saying though is, when when you see the 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 one Robert England, it has a lot of the same pieces from this in there. Now the 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 violence is turned way up, and there's other things in there. But again, he makes the deal with the devil. Uh, you know, he he's well. In, he, he's I say in in, uh, in in that one, it's literal. He literally makes a deal with the devil. Yes. Yes. Know? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in you know here he makes a deal with a figurative devil and then right. Winslow makes a deal with again with his figure you know figurative devil, but they don't know is that Swan actually did make a deal with Satan. So yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, but it's so funny like those three versions have so much in common uh, it, from from the story wise. Those three are the main that have the most story in common of them, and yeah. that the later one like Phantom, the actual musical Phantom with all the musical stuff in it. Uh, t- takes more from the, you know, from obviously the Claude Rains version and the, and the other one and has imagery and stuff that's taken from there. But when you ask most people about this, it's like a hybrid version of both is what they remember. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of like when, when, when people think of Frankenstein's monster, they're like, oh, Boris Koloff. And the, what do they describe? They describe, they describe to you Glenn Strange right. because Glenn, Glenn Strange is what everyone knows is, the, is what he looks like. Uh, it's it's kind of funny how that the story that everybody knows and Family Opera is one of those stories that everybody knows takes on that hybrid of all the different versions together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yet there is no version that is that hybrid version. Right. You know, yeah. and, and and it's just kind of funny how that happens. And we, we see that. I think we see that more and more as we go through. Uh, if you ask somebody, uh, most people, I should say, if you ask them about Dracula, they'll they'll you know, they're what they're going to give you is Bela Lugosi, you know, you know, like or, you know, kind of d- with the voice and the whatever, even though they may never have seen 1931's Dracula, 1930, 1931 Dracula. 
right. because it just becomes the the version of what the it is. Phantom of the Opera, we think of the Phantom a lot of times when you think of them, you think of the 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 imagery of the mask being much closer to that of Claude Rains, where it's an actual uh, opera opera mask compared to this mask, you know, kind of thing. But yet they think of things that go in there, and there's always you know, it's just it's just it's just funny how that all morphs and changes and how that's all the different way uh the characters become iconic because we kind of meld all of them together into that one character and i think we see that much more here with the classic characters the dracula frankenstein the wolfman fan of the opera even even jekyll and hyde you see that much more there than you do with the characters that came much later the leather faces and the Jasons and the Freddies and stuff, because they're very much defined by a series of movies where they're all connected. You know, these, these, uh, uh family operas have nothing to do with each other. They're made by different companies at different times and for whatever, but the story is there, you know? So, right. But I also think it's funny too, because I mean, again, you read the book. I want to remember, I think, I think we were at universal studios. This is a long time ago. Yes. And you picked up a copy of the book. Yeah, because they used to have the the horror makeup show used to be the Phantom of the Opera's horror makeup show. Yes, yes. And later, and it was, I, it was, I, yeah, it was like one of the first. It was I think it might have been the very first thing we did, or the second thing we did at the park. Yeah. I yeah. Well, we walked in. And we I think we went to it because it was just starting. We were, and we were like, oh, let's go see this thing, and then it let you out into the best gift shop ever, by the yeah. way. Um, <laughs> the only gift shop that even come close to it was the original gift shop that was right outside of the Haunted Mansion. Outside the Haunted Mansion, they had a gift shop that had just, like, horror stuff, quote-unquote, like, masks and different things. That had really cool stuff. But this lets you out into the best – that's where you got the – you had the, the Universal if, – if you look them up, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, Universal had shirts that were the – I had the Wolfman. You had the Christian Black Goon. Yep. Dad had Frankenstein, I think. Yeah, Frankenstein's monster. And Mom yeah. had the Mummy. Right? And they were these awesome, awesome shirts, and we wore them everywhere. And people were like, where'd you get that shirt? Like, Universal. Like, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> but you think in that store, and Luke was like, oh, I want to buy Family Opera. And, again, back then, it wasn't like books were like, you know, $12 for a paperback. It was like probably three ninety nine or two ninety nine. Yeah. I right? still have that. I, I still have that copy downstairs on my bookshelf, too. Yeah, it's got and it's got lunch. It's got a painting of Lon Chaney Sr. on the cover. That's what I was going to say. The cover, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure, was either a picture or a painting. I didn't know if it was a picture or a painting, yeah. but it was I think that was an exclusive cover for Universal Studios or something like that. Yeah, it was a very a special edition. And it's such a cool thing because, I mean, we're on vacation, you know, kind of thing. And Luke's like, oh, I'm going to get this. And we, he just starts reading it. You know, it's like I thought it be we're going to read Family Opera. And it's certainly not the certainly not the movie. Uh, no. But it's just, you know, kind of take that take on things. And, it's, oh, man, it, it's it's funny when you when you think like how things obviously Universal Studios has changed and grown and whatever. But the old days of Universal Studios, like the fan of the opera, the, the, the makeup effects show, it's not that much different than it is now. A little bit different. Yeah. But, man, but you just would be in there like, this is so cool. Like, and then you <laughs> go to the gift shop, like, this is the coolest gift shop ever. And I, remember, like, well, mem- it's, and I remember it was themed after being a theater. So you would yes. walk in and, and the, and the, the queue as you walked up to the, cause it, uh-huh. it's a, cause it, it's, it's a stage. So you sit all around the stage. And remember it had all the lobby cards for all oh the horror gosh. movies and monster movies all in the lobby cards. Yeah. I'll remember that because I always thought it was neat that they actually had a lobby card for Godzilla versus the smog monster. 
which was so yeah. random. It's not even a universal movie. It's just whenever it's, they were building this set, somebody said, hey, I found a, I found a cheap lobby card for Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. They also had uh, um, the giant phantom statue, and they also had, which was, of course, based on Lon Chaney. Right. And then they had the fan. They had the some of the stuff behind glass, like the um, the original props from the movies and mm-hmm. stuff like that from family opera stuff. And the other thing, too, and this is what another thing people think of when they think of Lon Chaney as the Phantom. And again, people have that image in their mind. Some people, when they describe it, they describe um, the version that Jimmy Cagney did in The Man of a Thousand Faces right. when he when he portrays Lon Chaney. As the family offer, right? Yeah. And it's that very distinct look to it. Or they're like, his skin is really green, and it's not green. That's the cover of Famous Monsters of Filmland, done right. by Bob, you know, uh, um, Basil Golgus, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, but it's just, it's just, it's it, this is a movie that I think a lot of people have missed, um, not because they want to, but I don't, I can't remember the last time this was on. I mean, TMC might, I mean, not yeah. TMC. Yeah, TMC might show it. No, yeah, TCM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might show it, but you know, as part of a group. But I mean, they're actually probably more apt to show the Claude Rains version. I mean, Claude Rains was a much bigger star. I mean, not trying to hate anything from Herbert Lom, but Claude Rains was a pretty big, you know, star. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well, no, it's yeah. That's this that that's it's absolutely true that this is a film that you just unless you're already aware of it, you know, you don't. This doesn't get a lot of play. It didn't even get a lot of play. You know, back in in back in the day when Hammer was on TV more to begin with. Sure. So, yeah, but uh, but hey, you know what? The the great thing is that the, these movies are still out there, and oh, yeah. the market that we are in now has allowed for these things to go out there and be remembered and be discovered again. So, right. uh, that, yeah. that 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 is the truly great thing about this is that you can in fact go watch you know Hammer's uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera without having to like hunt it down through Sinister Cinema or some some deal right. out a show or something like that too yeah. so well you know if, if you on amazon if you if you go to the uh, two true freaks website click on the amazon link um the fan of the opera the dvd of this it is right now about five dollars and fifty cents brand new with prime shipping um that the blu-ray of it is a little more expensive because uh it was out of print and whatever but it's it's a beautiful copy the other one is the hammer horror series which we've talked about before and that's about $21, and that gives you Brides of Dracula, Curse of the Werewolf, Fan of the Opera, Paranotic, Kiss of the Vampire, I think the Night Creatures, I'm trying to remember what everything else is on it, but it's it's got like the eight films on it. It's just great um, set of movies. And to me, I mean, I, I mean and they also, that's also available in the the uh, Hammer Horror 8 film collection on Blu-ray for about 22 bucks. Same movie as I just mentioned, uh, all together. So... Um, Evil Frankenstein might be in there too, I think, but it's available. It's out there, and if if, if you're interested in seeing this, and hopefully you are, if you haven't already seen it, uh, you know, go, go go check it out because you you won't be disappointed. I'm telling you that that one set I just mentioned, the the Hammer Horror uh, eight film collection. Uh, this movie's, I mean, I, I'm this is a great movie, but Curse of Werewolf's in there too. We talked about Curse of Werewolf yeah. previously. I love Curse of Werewolf. Um, Evil Evil Frankenstein's fine, but Brides of Dracula. For a non-Christopher Lee slash non-Dracula movie, because it's not Dracula, it's a pretty good Dracula movie. So you know, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I so, just but... want—I just want to mention with this movie, like all the other ones, 
when it's over, it's over. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. As soon as as soon as the like last character who's gonna die dies in these Hammer movies, it's just like the end and the credits start rolling. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> man. There's no no reason no reason to linger around. What are no, we? What are yeah, no are, epilogue. Are yes. <laughs> There's like no you telling saw you what it, You can't with... un. You saw it. You you can't unsee it. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Still lurking about. <laughs> People have homes. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. The moral of the story: Don't fuck with artists. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, God so. damn, I want a lair. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. That, hey, Chris, Kickstarter. Chris is under his house digging. He's just dig- Like, what's all that noise? He's just digging. <laughs> Nothing. How much lair. work was it to take that take that furnace and put it on a swivel swiveling door and keep it so it would still like vent? <laughs> That's quite. Okay. He, he's a, quite a, little, a workman. That it's guy. A team engineer. A little yeah, he had guys, nothing but time on his hands. That's what you're saying. That's true. There was Everyone time now. There was time enough at last. A little patience and a lot of glue. That's all I got to say about that. Well, he's got to <laughs> build all that stuff and keep an eye on on his play. Yeah, absolutely. So well, you know, hey, but you know, the the musicals only go in certain hours of the day. I guess that's so. true. Um, okay, so uh, now it comes to the time in the show when. Everyone starts, you know, the, the listeners look around at each other. There's that nervous energy in the audience. What are they going to cover next? What is it? We've got to know. What What are they going to cover next? And uh, continuing in our series, we're going to jump ahead um, a little over 10 years. We're going to be jumping deep into the decade that style forgot, the 1970s. And we're going to be taking a look at the film Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter from 1974. And uh, you want to talk about an a offbeat Hammer movie, this is one of them right here, as we are... Oh, yeah. The movie started changing as we got into the 70s, and Captain Cronus is certainly... Uh, it's not going to be mistaken for Horror of Dracula anytime soon, but uh, <laughs> nope. it's not to say that it's not a, a worthy entry, but it's definitely different. Yeah. So, Weirdly, the first Hammer movie I, I actually saw all the way through. That's what you open with. <laughs> that's what I open with, yeah. Right? Hey, All right, hey. I would, yeah, I would catch anywhere. little bits of it at my grandfather's house on his TV, but my mother was a, a censor of horror movies, and she would, I would have to, you know, I would sneak five minutes and be like, ooh, and then it'd be like, channel change. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's been a while since I've seen Captain Cronus, so this will be... I say this a lot in the show, but this will be a treat to get uh, an excuse to rewatch mm-hmm. Captain Cronus here. So, yeah. uh, it's, so it's a yes. fun, it's a fun movie that's very different than it's definitely different than this one. I'll tell you that. Yeah, so, I haven't watched it since I was in high school, so I'm yeah. really looking forward fun. to it. I don't think I've watched it since I was in high school either, for that matter. But that's not nearly as long a period as it is for you. So. Yeah, that's. I've never seen it. Here so. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's oh, a little, yeah. everybody's a little punchy, you know. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, hey, um, you know, everybody just, uh, like I said, I hope everybody enjoyed the show tonight and uh, come back for Captain Cronus. Anybody got any any last thoughts on the Phantom of the Opera? Um, Chick was hot. Chick? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for, right? Well, uh, I'll be honest with you, is is if you think she's good looking, then you got to wait till Captain Cronus because we got. uh, She was wholesome hot. Wholesome yeah, hot. no. Well, we have we have a very young, we have a very young Caroline Monroe 
Oh, in uh, yeah. Ethan Cronus, yeah. and this is this is pre this is pre Golden Voyage of Sinbad, yeah. Carolyn Monroe. So, um, but yeah, I'm saying is so uh, Harryhausen hadn't even gotten his paws on. I her like and... my Carolyn Monroe flying a helicopter against James Bond. Yes, and if only <laughs> the, some idiot at back at the mechanic shop had aligned her guns not to fire only on the sides of the road, she'd have gotten them too. Uh-huh. I like it when Carolyn Monroe's <laughs> guns are aligned. Yes, yeah. I like I like thirty year old Carolyn Monroe playing a teenager in Horror High. I, I also like <laughs> Carolyn Monroe in Slaughter High. Slaughter High. Slaughter High. Her hair was so bad. <laughs> anyway, so. Tune in next time for the Carol Monroe podcast coming Ooh. soon to <laughs> Wow. Coming soon to Hair Metal Heroes Room. <laughs> yeah. Like podcast. 10 minutes after we clock off. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going right to bed after this. Yeah. <laughs> He's me, and to lock punk, me and my CPAP machine is going to be a good oh. night. <laughs> It's you, me, Carolyn, and the CPAP machine. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you like oxygen, bitches. shop at amazon.com please consider using the link at two truefreaks.com to shop there if you use this link to go to amazon and then you shop two true freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time visit our website at two truefreaks.com two true freaks is always spelled t-w-o t-r-u-e F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2TrueFreaks with an exclamation mark at the end space and the number two you can find two true freaks on facebook just search for two true freaks 
If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Suck it to me? (laughs) 